So in the second week of this series that we're calling Fresh Kicks, and we said, you know, we're, we're like a church with a brand new pair of shoes on, and we're excited, but we want to understand not just what's the new, but what are the people walking in those shoes going to look like? What are the values that are going to drive us moving forward? And we said our first core value that's going to be a, a, the standard for what we do is simply this, Jesus is our message. And last week, we really just talked about who is who is Jesus? If he's going to be our message, I want to know just a basic understanding of who he is. And one of the things that I did is I said, you know, as churches, sometimes we, we do our best to share the message. Or sometimes we get a little bit goofy, especially if we've got a church sign out front that we can change the wording. And I showed a couple church signs. And then I asked you guys to send me some. And some of y'all sent me some really inappropriate ones that I'm not going to show today. <laughs> but I do have a few more that we've got to share. Just... They're trying, and I know if we had one, we'd put stuff out there too that I'm sure we'd be like, what was that, guys? But let me just show you. I've got a few of these. So here's the first one that we're going to put up there. Tired of being a loser? Turn to God. I mean, I guess if you're tired of being a loser, that's a good place to turn. Um, the next one, this one, if, if you read it just right, it's not going to sound real good. So go to the next one. God holds each accountable for sin and will punish Pastor Larry Wilhite. So, <laughs> is God punishing this pastor? I don't think that was the intention behind this sign. All right, this next one, you gotta, you gotta read it and then pay attention to it because you gotta get the whole thing. God's love is deeper than this snow. <laughs> There's no snow, guys. <laughs> so, I think what it should say is nobody's paid attention to this sign for a long time. Now, I've got two last ones, and these ones are both really ridiculous. Okay, here's the next one. Now, this says this. It says, drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost of life. <laughs> what does that even mean? And why are you putting that on your sign? I don't want Jesus drop kicking me through anything. And then the last one is just, it's a bold statement. I created Chuck Norris. <laughs> True. He did create... Chuck Norris. But we all want to share the message of Jesus, and some of us do it silly ways. I, I told, I'm going to, so here's, I've had a texting fail. It was a little while back, but, you know, I've got lots of friends, and sometimes they've got some issues, and we're talking through stuff, and I sent the text back, and what I meant to say was, man, it's good that we have Jesus. My thumbs don't sometimes work all the best on my device. And what it autocorrected to was, man, isn't it good we all have issues? <laughs> <laughs> to which I got back the little question mark. Like, what? And, and then he said, yeah, I guess we do all have issues. And I was like, man, it meant to say Jesus. Yes, we all do have issues, but it's even better that we have Jesus. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. Hey, we've all got issues. But our message of what we live and how we live should be Jesus. And so we're just, for these two weeks, and this is our last week talking about that Jesus is going to be our message, let's look at what were some of the main things that when he was on the earth that he did, the message that he proclaimed, and then I want us to ask ourselves, what are maybe some of the main messages that are driving me, and how can I actually submit and surrender those to Christ? So here's the first one, one of the first messages that Jesus constantly did, we see, is simply this, Jesus met people where they were. And Jesus made things better. He met people where they were, 
and he made things better. Here's the first miracle of Jesus, John chapter 2. John chapter 2, the very first miracle. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, which maybe it was disciples that were drinking all that wine. I don't know what's going on. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know how this story goes. Jesus at first is kind of like, man, it's not my time. But eventually, he gets barrels of water, and he does something incredible. And he creates not just wine, he creates good wine. He creates something extra and, and special. I mean, I taught kids, and there was a kid's lesson one time, and it was on video. It said that Jesus made party fun juice. <laughs> happy, happy party fun juice. Yes, he did. But why did he choose this? Partially, I think it's because mama said, and when mama says something, it's time to move. But he showed up to show I can transform any situation, whether simple and mundane, that I'm going to be a a God who can show up in the middle of any mess in any situation and do something amazing and incredible. His first miracle was a transformation. It showed us that not only can he transform water into something, he is a God who transforms lives into something new. And so his first thing he does is transforming something, to change something, to make something better. Then we get Jesus' final miracle before the cross and the resurrection, which are obviously the ultimate miracles. His final miracle, Luke chapter 22, verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, which is he's going to be arrested, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered no more of this, and he touched the man's ear, and he healed him. His first miracle, Jesus helps his mom. His final miracle, Jesus heals an enemy. His first miracle, he's helping family. His final miracle, he's helping a foe. And all along the way, his whole intention is just to make things right, to make things better, to transform things, to show that I can change stuff, but I can also restore things to make them back to how they were supposed to be. His first miracle, he's transforming something. His last miracle before the resurrection, he's redeeming something and restoring it back. And that's the same message that he wants us to hear and that he wants us to proclaim to others. I can transform things, but I can also restore things. He's a God who makes things better and meets in the middle of the mess. So if Jesus is our message, how are we doing with this? So here's the question. Are we meeting the needs of others, both simple and significant, Remember, Jesus met simple needs, but he also rose the people from the dead. He healed the blind. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He also just met simple needs of spending time with children, speaking love. These are all things that he did. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we meeting the needs of others, both simple and significant? And do we make things better? As a church, do people know us as a church that's actually making things better in our community? Personally, When you show up, are they like, I'm glad that person is here because they make things better. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message that we should have. Second thing that we can see is this. A major message of Jesus is he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He spoke against sin and the stances that he took stood out. So the major, one of the major things he did is he kept saying the kingdom of God is like. He was casting vision of what God's kingdom was going to be like and how it could invade the earth now. Matthew 6, 
33 and 34, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It says, seek first. What does it say? Seek first his kingdom. So many times we seek first our kingdom. We seek first the news and to hear about the kingdoms of this world. Scripture says, seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And then he says, those worries, because this whole passage, if you read it, is about worries and struggles and strife. And he says, when you have a different mindset of a kingdom focus, those worries become less because you understand how big and how great your God is. We live in a world of lots of uh, turmoil and Jesus called us to live through the lens of the kingdom of God, to seek God's ways before the ways of the world. And our culture today has a, a news cycle rhythm, bad thing to bad thing, a little mixture of, hey, here's something great that happened, but it's just moving from one tragedy and chaos to the next and keeping us engulfed in worry. We've got to live by a different mindset, a different kingdom. He challenges us, Jesus does over and over again, to live by a different rhythm of, of not worrying, but a, a rhythm of love, of compassion, of standing up to sin, loving our enemies. Like, that's really difficult. It's easy to say, but when you really think about loving your enemies, to live that out, that's a kingdom principle that we're called to live by. And as what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I want you to live different than the world around you. You should stand out in a good way. You should look different in a good way. Your stances should be different. So here's the question. Are we living different than the world around us? I'm going to be honest. A lot of us aren't. We're, we look just like everybody else. We fight just like everybody else. We get in disagreements just like everybody else. And we're called to live as citizens of a different kingdom? And do we stand up for what Jesus stands up for? The world's standards should not be our standards, guys. Amen. The values of society do not trump what we find in Scripture. No matter what values are placed before us, Scripture's our standard, Jesus is our message. That has to be what drives what we do. So I, I'm just challenging us. Whose, whose values, whose rhythms, whose kingdom are we proclaiming? And let me just speak to something. There's a lot of chaos in our world right now, and that could be said anytime. Our past generations, there's a lot of chaos. Jesus' generation, there's a lot of chaos. There's constantly a lot of things going on, but right now there's, I, I've said this a few weeks ago, but there's sig significant upheaval right now in the Middle East. And there is. There's a lot of stuff going on and turmoil happening. And a lot of people then get really worried and they I would too. I understand that. But what I'm seeing is a lot of Christians, immediately when this stuff kind of starts happening, they start to immediately turn to, is this the end time? Is Jesus coming back? You should have been living like that beforehand anyways. Amen. We all of a sudden start thinking that when we see something like, well, are these the signs? What that really shows me is that you haven't lived that way until now. And we become focused on the wrong things because this shouldn't be, is Jesus coming back? It's, have I been using Jesus and has he been my message all along? And yes, we should be praying for what's going on over there. We should be praying for that. But here's what we shouldn't be praying. We shouldn't be praying for one side to win and one side to lose. We should be praying that they all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
Because what they both have is a belief in Jesus. Both sides have a belief in Jesus, but they don't believe that he is Savior. And so as you pray, pray repentance and salvation. That's what we need to be praying. That is, that is us making Jesus our message. For the longest time, the, the initial sin was humanity wanting to be in control and have an understanding of what's right and wrong. It's the same thing we chase today. Let me understand what's right and wrong. Let me be in control. And I see it. Let me immediately turn to Revelation. Let me turn to all these prophecies. That's us just seeking control. And Jesus said, that's, that's not the thing you need to be worried about. Are you proclaiming my message? Are you living like I could come back any day? Those are the ways that we should be living all along. So we got to understand, Jesus calls us to live as we belong to a different kingdom. This was the initial call for the disciples after he left and left the church behind. He said, you are citizens of a different kingdom. Live that way. And the gospel they proclaimed was Jesus is Lord and he lives. And when they proclaimed him as Lord, what they were saying is above Caesar, above everyone else, I serve Jesus. Are we proclaiming that message? Above political party, above president, above anything else, Jesus comes first. That's the message of Jesus. That's what we need to be proclaiming as well. One of the third, the third thing here today is Jesus prioritized discipleship. Jesus called people to follow him and he led others to do the same. This is one of the driving verses behind who we are as a church in Matthew 4, 19. But I'm going to read verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus issued a call to them that would redefine their purpose. Come, follow me. And it wasn't some casual invitation. He was telling them, leave behind everything you've ever known to come do something different. He was calling them to something significant and it meant it was gonna have to walk away from something they thought was their life's call. And then he began to, to walk with them and talk with them and eat with them and spend time with them. And he poured into them because here's what he knew. He knew, I'm going to do these amazing things and these big miracles, but these moments aren't, these little moments of what I'm doing are not the thing that's going to spur on a movement. It's the people that I'm going to pour into. And the same thing is true with us. We may have great moments of prayer and amazing moments of worship, and there may be those sermons that stand out sometimes, but that's not going to be the thing that helps us actually impact the city. It's discipleship. It's one per person pouring into the next. It's taking what you hear on a Sunday and walking it out every single day. Jesus didn't create disciples by spending time in a classroom or by opening a book. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. He went fishing with them. He spent time with them. I'm sure Jesus laughed and had fun and cooked meals around fires. He did life together. Are we doing life with, first off with Jesus? Or are we just doing Sunday Jesus time? Or is he a part of our everyday life? And then are we doing that with other people as well? Because Jesus didn't just call us to be disciples, which is a follower, a learner. He called us to make disciples. So to bring along other people, to do life with. It was one of his major, major messages. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we really following Jesus and helping others do the same? Who are you, who are you investing in? Who are you spending time with? 
And it's not about having all the answers. Jesus has all the answers. Remember, he's our message. So many people, they don't want to, they don't want to lead a study or they want to lead a group or they don't want to invite somebody out to lunch to talk about Christ. It's like, well, I might not have all the answers. You won't have all the answers because you're not God. But when you start spending time with people and you start having these discussions and you don't know stuff, you know what it urges you to do? To get deeper, to learn more, to have a better understanding. So that when you have these conversations, you feel more confident to rely more on prayer and on the Holy Spirit to speak through you and to guide you. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we, the message of Jesus was go and make disciples. Are we doing that? And then fourth, this is one of the biggest things Jesus came to do. It's Jesus forgave and Jesus showed people mercy. Luke 23, 34, Jesus is on the cross and he says this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing in the midst, guys brutal betrayal, nails in his hands and in his feet, people mocking him. And he makes this just huge statement of mercy. God, forgive them. And this isn't just forgiveness. This is like incredible mercy and relentless love in action. And are we willing to forgive people like that? Because let me be honest. Somebody cuts me in line at Walmart. Come on. <laughs> somebody honks their horn at us. If somebody like gives us one of those dirty looks or gives us one of those fun words, you know, colorful language, I'm ready to be spitting on folks and hitting them. <laughs> and that's just a natural inclination. I mean, that was, that was my home growing up. I was taught by my dad. This, this, most people are taught if somebody hits you, defend yourself. My dad taught me, if somebody even looks at you funny, just beat them up. <laughs> like hit first. It was Cobra Kai at my house sometimes. <laughs> I remember the message of, <laughs> we're both leaving in sirens. One of us is going to the hospital. One of us is going to the police station. And I'm not planning on seeing the doctor today. <laughs> Th honestly, that's a lot of our culture. It's machismo, it's bravado, it's be stronger, be tougher. And really what that leaves out is love, mercy, and forgiveness. We are really good at holding grudges too. Somebody hurts us, we either, we either decide I want to hurt them back or we'll be like, I'm going to rise above it. But you know what we do? We take the grudge and we put it in our pocket. I used to teach a lesson of, on grudges and I'd get a bunch of potatoes and I'd start saying, this person hurt you and just start holding potatoes in their pockets. And all of a sudden you're carrying this weight. And even if you just got one potato that sticks in your pocket, how many guys know if you start holding something heavy just on one side, even if it's just something small, it'll start to throw your, your whole body off. It'll start to throw your whole gate of your walk off. And when you hold grudges, what you're doing is you're throwing everything off. And God's saying, no, I came to show what mercy and forgiveness looks like. Take that junk out and forgive. Take that thing out and start showing mercy. And we've said this before, but forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. But forgiveness means I'm not going to be bound and trapped by this grudge that I'm just carrying around potatoes in my pocket. I'm getting rid of this stuff. Because if you, I always used to say this too, if you keep enough potatoes in your pocket, they're going to begin to rot and stink. And how many of you guys know somebody who's walking around with unforgiveness that turns to bitterness 
And they may not understand it, but their life is kind of rotten and it stinks because they're holding on to something they need to give up, give up to Jesus. Jesus is dying on the cross and he's saying, man, forgive him. He's showing us this ultimate message. He's showing us the way to live. So who are we showing mercy to? And man, who do we need to forgive? Who do we need to forgive? Ask yourself that question. We're asking that as a church. And there's been a lot of pain here. And we've forgiven. But again, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. It means that we're going to move past this thing. We've done our best to, to reach out. And now we're going to move past. Who in your life maybe do you need to actually just forgive? And not carry that around anymore. That's the message of Jesus. And if that's his message, that should be your message. So we could go on and on about the message that Jesus proclaimed. But I want to flip the script for just a minute. It makes sense that Jesus would be the message of any church. But here's what the enemy would want to do for you. He'd want to say, okay, let... Let the message of Jesus, that's for the church. And when you go there on Sunday, man, you're a part of that message. That's, but but you're, you're a part of that. You're a part of that church. That's your message. But during the week, money's your message. During the week, my work is my message. My school is my message. The primary thing you think of all the time that's the message that's in your heart, that you're, the thing that you talk about quickest, the thing that you're most passionate about. He'd rather you be like, you go to church, do that Jesus thing there, but the rest of the week, what's the headline? What's the headline for the rest of your week? What's the thing that's the headline for the rest of your week? And I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about the things that we enjoy, that we shouldn't talk about the successes that we have, that we shouldn't in, talk about our family and our life but how can we use all of those things to still put attention back to Jesus? To still draw attention back to him? I think there's two things that can be significant messages in our life that a lot of us like to talk about. And I don't have a problem with them, but I think that we can use them in a way to actually point people back to Jesus. I want to talk about those two things. The first thing is this. If you want those four things that we talked about, and there's so many more that Jesus had, but if you want to make Jesus your message, a lot of us have experienced something that we turn into our life's message, and it's success. It's success. We talk a lot of times about hardship in church and failures, but there are some of you guys who have been very successful. And God's favor and his blessings are on you. And there is nothing wrong with that. I pray that for all of us. And that favor and blessing doesn't necessarily mean financially. You may have a, a peace and your mental health is strong. You may have great family relationships and things just feel like, man, I hear these things, but I'm actually doing really good. And there's been times when I'm spending time with somebody and their life is actually really good and they're almost ashamed of it because they know, well, so many other people are struggling. Don't be ashamed of it. God has done something significant. He's brought you success. But here's what we have to do. We have to understand where does that success come from and am I giving him the credit for it? When you've got favor, when you've got something happening in your life, you've got to ask, how can I still make Jesus the headline in this thing? How can I help him to understand? How can I help other people to understand that he he is my all. 
No matter how successful I'm going to be, Jesus is the one that brought all of this. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. How can I use this to proclaim the message of Jesus? Here's what you proclaiming the message of success looks like. You talk about your job all the time. You talk about, man, we were able to do this and we were able to do that. And again, I love hearing about some of you, what you do. That's outstanding. But use that then as a way to say, man, you know, we, we sometimes make fun of athletes because they'll win a big game. And they'll be like, man, all credit goes to God. I don't, I don't fault them for that. I don't know if it's always sincere. But they're, if we did that even, man, all credit goes back to God. And we just need to learn to do it with sincerity. When something goes good in our life, let other people know, man, God has allowed this to take place. God has given me this opportunity. God has brought me into this position. And for some of you, you're just now. And this is an interesting place to be because I've been here before. When you just start to figure out, I'm actually really good at something. I pray that you would all come to that place at some point in season in life when you begin to understand, I'm really talented or gifted in this area. Some of you guys are incredible mechanics. Some of you are very gifted and skilled in, in, in some creative, creative space. You can sing. You're an artist. Others of you are naturally just a good teacher. Some of you are naturally good parents. And you begin to see what's going on around you. And you realize, I think I'm actually, and it sounds weird, I'm better at this than most people. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. God has just blessed you in a specific way with a specific skill set. But who are you going to give credit to? Who are you going to give credit to? Because when... When you realize you're good at something, when you realize I'm a gifted athlete, when you realize you're good at something, a lot of times you work to become better at that thing, which is not, again, that's good. But then you start taking the credit for it because you start taking the natural gift you've been given, you start developing it, which you should, and then you take credit because you've developed the gift, so that must mean I'm the one that brought the gift. I'm the one who did this thing. And it's easy because you'll start getting praised. Man, you're such a great fill in the blank. Wow, how did you get to fill in the blank? Well, let me tell you about the process I took. And we leave God completely out of it. Because so many of us who have experienced success, we could look back and we could see little things that happened that don't even make sense and wouldn't have happened unless God showed up. Little ways that we've been developed, little things of people that have put, been put in our life, and we've got to give credit back to God. And I know what this feels like. I remember even just, I told, I was having dinner with Jace a couple weeks ago, and I said, man, if you'd have known me when I was 24, 25, it would have been the worst thing in the world. Because I was in ministry, and I was leading in areas, and I was doing successful family and kids and students ministry and getting a lot of attention from a lot of big churches. And let me tell you, when you start getting attention for the thing that you're doing and you start realizing you're good at it, it makes you a little arrogant. And God had to work that out of me big time. He had to work that out of me and say, no, 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 no. All of this I've given is for me to be glorified, not for you to get glorified. And so no matter what success that you walk into, no matter what gift or skill set that you realize, man, I'm really good at this, it's all to be pointed back 
to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether, whatever you do, it's Colossians, give it all back to bring God praise and all God, all just him, get all the glory. The last church that I was at, we had to go through a season like this as a church, not just personally, but as a church, where we attracted a lot of attention and got a lot of headline. We were named the fastest growing church in the entire country. We grew from 1,500 people to over 3,000 in six months. That is not fun. I don't want that to ever happen here because that is so hard and difficult. But it was only the grace of God that allowed that to happen. And when that happened, doors and opportunities opened for our lead pastor. He was invited to places. They flew us all as a team to places because of this. And when that kind of success happens, do you know how quick it is to say, man, look what we did instead of saying, man, look what God did. And I remember sitting down and I give my, my pastor all the credit, but I sat down with him. I said, why are we reporting these numbers to anybody in the first place? This is a weird game that we're in that we shouldn't be in this competition with other churches. Why are we doing this? And I just felt like God told me this is not the message that I would have. I can't imagine Jesus being like, yes, they are better than this church. What is that? That's weird. And our, my pastor listened. He said, you know what? You're right. We're not doing this anymore. All credit needs to go back to Jesus. And that church has continued to grow. But it's, it's one of those times and one of those seasons when we had to realize this isn't about us. This is about the way that God has blessed and used this team to do something. And as a church, I see in the future that God is going to give us extreme favor, guys. He is. God's going to bring people into this place. People are going to be baptized. Lives are going to be changed. And we've got to start now to say, nope, he's going to be our message no matter what happens. No matter what happens, he's going to get the credit. He's going to get the praise. And you've got to decide the same thing in your life. You've got to say this, Jesus, I want to give you the praise no matter what. No matter what praise I get, Jesus, you get the praise. You're the message. I'm the voice. So, some of you are on the complete opposite end. Success isn't your main message. Pain and past is your main message. Whenever somebody asks you, how are you doing? It immediately is pain and past. And I understand that because that's what you're going through right now. And that's hard because some of you, the season of pain you're in, it feels like nothing makes sense. There's no simple answers. Maybe it's financially, relationally, spiritually. It could be just an emotional, mental health thing. But the pain is deep. The pain is real. But I want to encourage you to let God connect your mess, like we talked about with his message. Whatever mess you're in, let God connect your mess with his message. He may not give an answer the way that you want. He may not change the situation exactly the way that you want, but... Those first miracles, remember God is a God who changes and he's also a God who restores, but he's also a God who redeems. And he can take the broken seasons, the hardships of our life, and he can use them in ways that we would have never thought. I've told you guys this before, but I have to take medication every single day because I've ha I have epilepsy. And I haven't had any kind of seizure or anything for a long, long time. Every day, 
I have to take this medication that sometimes makes me drowsy, makes me a little aloof, and just, I've got to take this stuff. And there, I remember this, this diagnosis first happened when I started doing full-time ministry, and I was like, this, God, what is this? Because I never had any seizures until my mid-20s, which is about the same time that I started doing full-time ministry. And at first, it was frustrating. I didn't understand it. But then God started giving me opportunities to minister to people who were going through similar situations in their life. He began to redeem it. I talked to a, one of our members just this past week. And we were in my office and she, she sat with me. And she said, I have been with ailments and in the hospital more times than I would ever hope or could ever imagine. And she said, at first, it made me really mad at God. Saying, God, why? Are you, what is this? Why are you letting this happen? But then she started a hospital ministry where she's visiting people in hospitals, where she's spending time with people that are going through hardships and ailments. And she said, God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to restore and redeem all that I've been through. And she can empathize in a whole different way than other people can because she's been through those things. So you may be going through a time of pain and hardship, but what you got to start to do is just pray, God, I know I'm going through something rough right now. I want you to redeem and restore this and allow me to use this to proclaim how good you are, how great you are, how loving you are. In that, a lot of you guys live in the pain of your past and there's a wound. There's a hard thing that happened in your past. There may have been abuse. It may have been a hard divorce. There may have been, you know, somebody who spoke to you in a way that was just cutting and hurting. And you, you live constantly with the pain of your past defining your next step. Because no matter where you move, it seems like that pain of your past is continuing to define you. Because what you have is you have a wound. But that wound needs to start to heal. Jesus understands what it's like to go through pain. Remember, Jesus is God who took on human skin. He humbled himself. He became a man. He stepped away from his heavenly throne to live a life on earth where he experienced hardship, pain, sorrow. He allowed nails to be driven through his hand. A spear thrust his side. He was put in a tomb for dead. But he rose from all of that, defeated all of that to forgive our sins, to make us have a way to be forever with him in heaven. But here's what he kept. Because we see he appeared to his disciples and he kept something to show them, I understand what it's like to go through hardship and pain. He still has the scars to prove it. He still has the scars to say, here's what I went through for you. And what Jesus is saying to all of us, he goes, I know you're going through some hard things. I know you've been through some hard stuff. I know you've got scars, but have you seen my scars? Do you know that my scars were for your healing? That's what Jesus is saying. I know you've got scars. Have you seen my scars? It's not a comparison game. It's to show you that I understand what it's like to go through. And my scars were to help heal your pain, to help heal your current situation, to help restore a relationship with me. And that has got to be our primary message. I've been through a lot of stuff. But man, Jesus brought me through this. I love talking to some of our older people because they have a different perspective. 
Some of our older people who have spent time year after year with Jesus and have been through some stuff. I love our younger people too, but they've been through some stuff like somebody made fun of me on Facebook. I get that. That's not fun. But these people have been through some real stuff. Years of that kind of rejection. Years of pain. Years of sicknesses. And they, some, they just sit down and they say, I can see how God can restore, redeem, and use every single one of these things because he is good no matter what. And so we have to say, okay, what's my message going to be? And that's kind of where I want us to leave today. We heard these four things that were Jesus' message. We heard the two things that tend to be ours, success and pain. We have to decide, is Jesus going to be the priority? Is he going to be the message in my life? Is he going to be the one that I speak of and talk about and spend time with? Let me encourage you, it's the best message you could ever give. It's the best thing that you could ever do is to proclaim the message of Christ, to give him credit for all your success, to lay down all of your pain and your past at his feet, and to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show love. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to make things better where I go. As a church, what does that look like? It looks like a people that passionately worship. It looks like a people that give generously in a way that it's just overwhelming. It looks like when we have a serve, big serve, that it's last, there was a bunch of us yesterday, but I would want so, mo- so many of us that we wouldn't know, how can we do a rally? We, don't, we can't fit everybody. That's what a church where Jesus is their message looks like. That's what a life where Jesus is your message looks like. Passionate worship, forgiving spirit, serving, being generous.